Hi, I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Okay, so we are talking about the Golden State Killer today. Yes, we are. And I've told you all about his crimes Mm -hmm. as one, the Visalia Ransacker, two, the East Area Rapist, and three, the original Night Stalker. Yes. So now you're probably like, okay, well, who's the Golden State Killer? (laughs) Let's talk about that. So let me tell you. The book we've been repeatedly referencing is called I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, who had a true crime blog before she wrote this book. She was just really into true crime. And she's actually Patton Oswalt, the comedian's wife, which is kind of cool. Just a a little side info. Yeah, he's like one of my favorite, like, voice actors. Yeah, we were talking about this. What's the show or what's the movie? So one of my favorite Pixar movies is called Ratatouille. It's literally like my favorite Pixar Disney movie. I think it's so cute. And he plays a little rat that cooks food. Yeah. (laughs) So um, it's just really cute. And I didn't know that he was married to Michelle McNamara at first. But when I found out, I was like, oh, no. I know. (laughs) I got very emotional about it just because, yeah. Yeah, and I was, um, I recently watched the movie Sorry to Bother You, which Mm -hmm. is so good. It's like, it's so weird. It like all of a sudden gets very sci-fi and it's really cool. But the premise of it is that this guy is a telemarketer and he uses a white voice to be more successful. And one of the like white voices is Pat uh-huh. Oswald. And I kept going like this guy's voice sounds so familiar. Yeah. And then I like looked it up and he was one of the voice actors. And then there was also one of so the main guy's girlfriend in the movie, her voice sounded familiar too, like her white voice. Mm-hmm. And that was actually Lily James from Mamma Mia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love Lily James. And, like, other things, but yeah, Mamma Mia most notably in my mind. Um, okay, so, yeah, so like I said, she had this true crime blog. She was just really into true crime. And then she, like you kind of mentioned earlier, just gets this, like, obsession with the Golden State Killer. Yeah. And I think that part of her obsession was that this case was actually not that well known until her book. And it's shocking when we, when you learn about how prolific of a serial offender he was. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's very possible that he could turn out to be, if not the most, like, if not having the most victim count in California or like in the nation, like at least in California, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's a fact, but I can't think of anyone else who has. No, that's like a, that's a pretty huge victim count. And so it's just weird that he wasn't that well known. Mm-hmm. And so that's so I think that that was part of her kind of obsession is there's this massive case that everyone should be talking about, that everyone should be putting mm-hmm. their efforts into and Absolutely. no one's talking about it. And. So I think that that's what kind of brought it on. So she kind of made this like war room in her house where she Mm -hmm. had, you know, like all of the evidence like on the wall, like her whole just like total armchair detective room. Mm -hmm. And she had a daughter. So in the day she would like do daughter stuff. And then at night she would just like be a detective on this case. Like it was just really cool that she was so into it and felt so passionate about it being solved that she was investigating it. Like she was going, she drove to every single house. She talked to so many people, so many victims. And 
I mean, she was doing detective work. Like, it yeah. was really, really cool. So she... She I just mean, knew everything about it, you know? Yes, and she just really dove into all of the... Every lead that popped up. There mm-hmm. was, like, no lead too small or too insignificant. And she devoted a lot of her life to this. And mm-hmm. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. And, I mean, she was working with people. People were aware that she was doing this. And, like, the investigators knew she was. And one thing that I think is a little unfair is that a lot of people will say like no one cared about this case until Michelle McNamara which isn't true because the like FBI has been actively investigating this like right in 2016 they actually offered a $50,000 reward and that was two years before she pub- the book was published so I mean yeah. they were looking into it of it's course just that, I mean it's a big deal but it's just it didn't have national attention right it just it wasn't in like the true crime yeah, you it know, wasn't the, the in hub of the true crime thing. It's not wasn't yeah. on every single show, and mm-hmm. you know, so she, when she was investigating it, kind of realized that it's weird to have these different monikers, and they were actually at this time hadn't connected him to the Visalia ransacker, so they just thought he was East Area rapist and original Night Stalker, so they actually called him Eron's. Um, like the whole, both of the acronyms oh, combined. Okay, yeah, yeah. And she was like, I think he needs a more appropriate name like Golden State Killer, which would make Mm -hmm. this case part of it. I think part of her motivation for that, it was making the case more kind of like more optimized to like things that people would be interested in. And I mean, when you say Eurons, it's like not as exciting as Golden State Killer. So when she kind of gross, I don't like that. When she made this moniker, people just really were like, into it and then uh-huh. the popularity of this case grew exponentially so mm-hmm. although I can't I don't think you can say she's like solely responsible for caring about it because she's not she is the person who made like true crime fans like us care about this case yeah she kind of like thrust it into the spotlight and there is a lot a lot to be said about investigative journalism and people like her who just revitalize old cases and cold cases that no one's really, it's not really on anyone's radar. People are investigating it, but like not everyone's like super excited. When that, when someone like brings a case forward again, it can put like, first of all, it can put a lot of pressure on people detect um, the detectives looking into it, which can be bad and can be good. But you know, the argument for it being good is that it just makes people more pressured to solve it because now you have everyone is on you about it you know mm-hmm. and we see that with the podcast up and vanished and Payne Lindsay a lot of people say Payne Lindsay solved the crime like he didn't he just made people care about it and he essentially gave people permission to start talking about it again mm-hmm. and I think that's exactly what she did here and I think that you can't talk about this case without giving her credit for how I mean she was very instrumental in this case being brought forward and people caring about it and Absolutely. And yeah, I, I have no problem crediting her for that. Yeah. And so the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, was published on February 17th, 2018. But on April 21st, 2016, Michelle unfortunately died in her sleep. Um, they did an autopsy and it showed that she had an undiagnosed heart condition and that that combined with the prescription medication she was taking essentially just caused her to die in her sleep so mm-hmm. she was taking Adderall and she was also taking Xanax so just like normal medications you would take you know yeah but those are like hyperactive medications like um Adderall is an amphetamine and Xanax also basically does a very similar um 
thing to your system that like heightens they're a prescription meth. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> they're they're like, yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, honestly. <laughs> but so not that she was abusing it or anything. I think no, it, but the autopsy just showed that like if she had been diagnosed with this heart condition, people wouldn't have been prescribing her that medication. So Right, because it ups your Right. It does it it makes you very hyperactive. Um so that would have affected your heart. Yeah, it was just kind of a total freak accident kind of thing. No yeah. one suspected it. Luckily she died in her sleep, which is mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the best way to die. Honestly. <laughs> but it was just really sad, not only because so she died, and that's sad in and of itself. She had, a, like, a, I think a 12-year-old daughter or mm-hmm. something, 10 or 12, something around there. But the sad thing is she didn't get to see the publishing of her book. She didn't get to see the outcome of this case. And she was arguably, like, the most inv- invested person, you know? Right. It's just really sad. And I think that the title of the book, I don't know if she had decided on that title, but I think it has so many meanings to it. I'll be yeah. gone in the dark. That's a quote that if you read the book, it's kind of towards the beginning-ish um, that she wrote into the book. Mm-hmm. And then and then he'll be gone in the dark, referencing the Golden State Killer. Yep. But then also she's gone in the dark. In the dark you yeah. know, she's she never got to have that satisfaction. and She never got to see the outcome of her years of work and she really put her heart into it. And it's very evident in the book that she cared. And yeah. it wasn't just, oh, I'm interested in true crime. Because, I mean, sometimes when you're like love true crime, it's just like, let's talk about all the gross things just because it's fun. Like, yeah, she had a deep invested, like serious. Like she wanted to solve this. Yeah. And she had a serious relationship with like victims and all mm-hmm. of that. So, so awful. But that book is wonderful. And Claire's going to try to read it again. I am. I will try to read it again. <laughs> and honestly, I like that was at the beginning of when we started talking about doing this podcast. And I wasn't as well versed in the world of true crime as Randy was. <laughs> <laughs> like I hadn't even read Helter Skelter yet. And how it ended up actually being published is Patton Oswalt, her husband, crime reporter Billy Jensen and researcher Paul Haynard. I don't, I don't know how to say his last name, but he was like helping Michelle research. Mm-hmm. They all got together and finished the book and published it. And I mm-hmm. just, that just gives me so many warm fuzzies, right? Like, so many. And it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yes, that's how Golden State Killer moniker came about. And that's what he was referred to from then on. So, let's talk a little bit about how this case was investigated. So, First, let's talk about his description. Okay. So something really interesting about the Golden State Killer is that he assuming, seemingly purposefully changed his physical appearance mm-hmm. through the course of these crimes because there's like three very um, popular sketches of him that look totally different. Like they look like they could be him, like all one guy, but all at the same time. You could say these are all different people and no one would question it. Yeah. Okay. Like, they're totally different. And master of disguise. Right. And it's kind of a lot of people speculate that he purposefully changed, um, like, even his weight. Because there were one part, there was some time when he was active that he was, like, vaulting fences and, like, jumping over. Yeah, and really physically fit. Yeah, like, someone would chase him and he would like jump over a giant fence like goodness you know like 
like a ninja. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was other times. A creepy ninja. A creepy ninja. And then there were other times where people would be like, he was like maybe 200 pounds or, you know, so it's yeah. just like, like he would, and people think he did this on purpose. So, which I, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, honestly, not, I wouldn't put it past him either considering all of his other intelligent decisions that he did to evade arrest and yeah. to create chaos in his crimes and make people really confused. I know. It's so confusing. He's so freaking weird. Okay. We were talking about the voice thing again while we paused to pee. We were oh, like, yeah. oh, oh my didn't God, even listen that's to so it. weird. I have to listen to it. Okay, wait. Okay, everyone, we're going to pause so that I can listen to the creepy thing because I forgot to, t- to listen to it. So we'll be back. <sighs> Stop. <laughs> okay, okay. So it was only like two seconds for you, but stop it. So uh, yeah, so we, we paused and I listened to the recording twice, mind you. And it's pretty creepy. It's really creepy. And I I forgot to mention he makes these like weird sounds at the ends. It's It's like... <laughs> and it's like I don't know how he makes the spacing so perfect but it's like really did you notice that it's like yes. very like the exact same amount of time between each sound he makes and when he says I'm gonna kill you it's like the same yeah it's like exactly the same every time he does it it's yeah and it's in a kind of like it is a little bit of a higher cadence like his voice mm-hmm. um ugh, I didn't like it yeah, and there's definitely stuff going on in the background, and he's whispering, so there's a lot of assumption that he's in a public space, or mm-hmm. maybe he's at around home, people. and he can't like let say you it know. very loudly. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, that was weird. I did not like that. Good. I'm glad you didn't. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, one just like side story I thought of from the book. There's a part where he's when he's like vaulting these fences where he. <laughs> probably fell and hurt or he did fall because Uh the other side of the fence was like kind of down a hill and he obviously couldn't see that when right it was like a giant fence sure and he fell and like like hurt his arm Mm -hmm. and but he was able to still escape and so detectives went to all the hospitals and were like did some you know weird guy come in here with a broken broken arm? arm And there was a guy who came into one of the hospitals, but the second they realized that he had given them a false name and false information, he, like, pieced out of there. <gasps> Yikes. So he was definitely smart enough to even know to that To realize what was happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. And, I mean, I know who this person is, so I kind of would get why he would know all of this. But, like, I don't know. It just, it. Again, all of these things that you keep saying to me just points out the fact that he's a very organized killer. And there's um, a good reason for that that I'll tell you later. Yes. It's oh. the most exciting thing ever, honestly. It is like, oh you won't see it my coming. God. It is insane Like, what if happens. you don't already know, you're going to be... I'm so glad that you get to learn. Yes. <laughs> I wish I could relearn you it. You wouldn't even... Yeah, it's just... You know, when something's so inter- like exciting to find out that you're like, I wish I could go back, not know it, and like relearn it. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't have the shocking factor of like knowing the whole case uh-huh. when the truth came out. And so I was like, oh, okay. But then now that I know it, I'm like, oh my gosh. That just makes it all the more exciting <laughs> that this happened and interesting, you know. Anyway. Yeah. 
because I'm, again, a morbid human and I love talking about murder. <laughs> um, I blame you for that. This is your fault that I'm I got sorry. In so into it. But it's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, so changing his appearance, changing gaining his appearance. weight, losing weight. So that's annoying. Can be fat, can be really fit. Anyway. Right. So that kind of threw a wrench in the whole thing. So, uh, obviously. Yeah. And he he never was like, really overweight he would just like put on enough weight to where the description wouldn't be like he's really lanky where like sometimes that was the description yeah so like he would do it enough to where like you could get by in your normal life you know putting on Mm -hmm. 20 pounds and no one would be like that concerned right but it would make it distinctive he wouldn't be like obese you know and then really skinny but anyways yeah so it would be just enough right where the description would be different Mm -hmm. so Obviously, this was one of the biggest investigations ever. The FBI eventually got involved. Yep. The lead detective, when the case did what we're going to tell you it does later, his name <laughs> is Paul Holes, and he retired like right after, which that I was like, sense. that's a good decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> kind of end on a good note. <laughs> yeah. And he's involved in like, he's in every interview, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. So they in- they're investigating it. And they have limited evidence, mm-hmm. which is really shocking considering he committed, yeah. you know, one billion crimes. Yeah, considering his victim count. That's so, what, you know, yeah. Yeah. So fingerprinting was totally a thing at the time. So he did not leave any fingerprints anywhere. But obviously, as we've said 1,000 times on this podcast, <laughs> DNA didn't really come about until the 80s, 90s. And so... He left his DNA all up and down the state of California. Um, everywhere. Everywhere. Because so. it's like not a concern, you know? Right. It's not something that would be on anyone's radar, even someone who is as intelligent as this person is. Yeah. So when the, when you look at the evidence and you look at the fact that he was able to like escape so many situations, like police, I mean, there were a couple encounters with police and he was just like able to get away. And a lot of speculation came about that he might have been in law enforcement because he was always just like two steps ahead of everyone like the incident I told you about where he mm-hmm. like escaped 70 police officers yes. oh you have gosh. to be you know in the know yes you know you I do know. know in the know you know I do know <laughs> <laughs> but so. that's because I know what you know <laughs> you know I know <laughs> Oh, and God. now they know. See, we think we're too funny. It's we not do. it's not funny, but it's it is kind of funny. <laughs> anyway. So the main reason that that's that <laughs> what the main reason that this investigation lasted for, you know, fifty plus years, is that right? Forty plus years, is yes. that there was essentially no evidence. So they had the descriptions, which aren't that helpful because he's just like I mean, the description is like six foot tall, white guy with like sandy blonde hair. You yeah, know, like every how guy ever. Is that? Yeah. yeah. So the limited evidence that they did have was this is the weirdest thing ever. And this is another could that be a red herring kind of thing. OK. So while he's fleeing the scene of a 1978 rape, he accidentally or purposefully dropped some things one of them. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I want you to like, I want to list them. So hold your reaction and I'm going to let you just let it out because you're going to be like, what the actual heck is happening? Okay. Okay. A homework assignment. 
an essay on General Custard. I can't even get through it. Okay, okay. An essay on General Custard. Okay. With notes on the back, mm-hmm. angry rantings about an unnamed teacher, and a map that is like an architectural drawing of a neighborhood or a community. A random neighborhood or community? An unknown one. So he drops those two things. Now tell me, tell me what you think. First of all, why would you have that (laughs) on your person? Like, and then how would you drop it? I... (laughs) Like, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to, like, justify how this would happen. And first of all, it's like, it's almost like he's trying to say this is a younger person because, like, it's a, a homework assignment on General Custer. I I haven't learned anything about General Custer since I was in sixth grade. And we she's were talking a history about, major. Yeah, a, a, yes. And uh, since we talked about, like, Little Bighorn when I was 12, literally, that's the last time that he has been discussed in my historical career. Granted, I'm focus on European history, but that's not the point. The other thing is, is that like a map. You don't like, have to wave your finger I'm at me sorry, so aggressively. I, I just, it is, that's such a weird <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand if that was a smart decision like it's like you just said. so weird. <laughs> he just does these random things and I don't understand them and we may never understand them, but I want to understand them. <laughs> like, why is that in your pocket? Why? Yes, why? Why? And then how did you drop it? Like, did, and why did you bring that with you? I know. Like, how could you, like, you randomly, like, like I'm going to go. You had your essay in yeah. your pocket or, like, a map. And these are, like, planned attacks. And so it's like, yeah. you're probably just going to bring what you need, but right. you, and you I need would feel, this essay. I would feel like if the map was relevant to any of the areas that he had been involved in, they would have picked up on that. Okay, so it. Kind of is. So okay. in the documentary Golden State Killer, it's not over yet, or it's not over. I don't know if the word yet is in there, but um, <laughs> it's like a four-part documentary that came out, like, I think it was in, like, 2017, so kind of on the cusp of everything happening. Right. And Paul Holes is, like, showing us the the map, and he found, like, one place in Sacramento area that kind of resembles the map. Okay, but then there's also a lot of speculation that maybe he was like an architecture student or a landscaping student or something like that. Right. Where that could have been like a homework assignment. And I mean, there's just so much speculation about everything. But then some people are like, this guy is very intelligent and dropped some random things to confuse everyone and distract the investigation. I would agree with that. Picture yourself as a detective. Uh-huh. You're, I mean, you have to look at all the leads. Mm-hmm. You have to. Yes, You're not doing important. your job if you don't. But, and he's giving you, like, dead ends on purpose. Yes. Tons of them. Right. Just to be like, here, go waste some manpower on that yeah. so that less people are concerned Weird. with what the actual facts of this case are. And then you don't even know what the actual facts of the case are. Because there's always weird stuff and things like this, you know. So yeah. how do you separate the actual weird from the, like, the in- insignificantly weird? Like, yes. There's no way to do it. No. And plus, like, if the map was kind of a confusing piece of evidence, you could spend a, a whole lot of time wasting energy on that thing because it's cryptic. It, I mean, maps are confusing anyway. Like, um, 
especially of an area that you're not familiar with and, and you're like I don't even know what I'm looking and at it's kind of like a, so you have to figure that out and that takes a while but yeah right and it's and it's a map in the way that it it, it is a map but it's not like a it's not a geographical a, map it's like it's a not drawings. what you would usually think of it's like drawn have you seen it you know you I didn't know about it. this obviously okay. no so it's like drawings of little houses and kind of streets and so it really what does the hell it really does look like a city planner kind of thing people thought maybe he worked for the city planner. Maybe. It was a hand-drawn map. Yeah, it was on a piece of paper. So, that's you know, so that's so weird. And weird. then also, like, why do you have your General Custer essay? That's the funniest thing to yeah. me. Yeah, and was this a hand... This was obviously a handwritten essay as well. Yeah, and then on the back, it has, like, angry... It says, like... What does it say? I'm sorry. I should have wrote this down. It's, like, F you or something. Just some, like, weird, like... About a teacher? Aggressive things that they assume is... Re- referring You to know, the referring teacher. to a teacher. I mean, he could have found that... Somewhere. He could have found it. Could have been maybe it was in a victim's home, and he took it, and he took it, and then he dropped it. Yeah, like I mean, there's so many things that it could be, or maybe it's not his. Yeah, I mean, it's probably his, but maybe it's not. Did they do any handwriting analysis on either item? They can't because they don't have anyone's handwriting to compare it to. But I guess that's true. But yeah. like, you can always establish whether or not like there's certain um, types of handwriting analysis that can almost be like creating a profile. So if you look at handwriting and it's really, really small, it can kind of indicate like a self-conscious writing. Um, And if it's really big and bold, it's more aggressive and like the person is really, um, I don't know, they have a more, a larger presence. I know that they have different ways to actually analyze handwriting without having to compare it to anything else. Um, But did you you hear anything about them doing anything like that? I've never heard anything about that because I think the consensus on these pieces of evidence is like let's look into it and make all these theories, but like yeah, I mean the the but ultimately key, they didn't lead anywhere. The key to this case is DNA, so we need to like mostly be working on finding someone to compare all of this DNA to because yes. we've got a lot of so it. So much. I mean, like a lot of like from what you've told me, the women came forward that were raped, and so obviously they did rape. Oh kits. yeah, they were. I mean, most of them, every, all of them, call that we mm-hmm. know of. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> In part five, I'll tell you the exciting thing that you probably know because we are not very subtle. No. And also, are you living under a rock? Like, are you? If you don't know, maybe you are. Maybe you <laughs> so, are. So we'll, we're here to tell you. We'll tell you about it anyways, even <laughs> though you know. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye.